What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Congressman Tom Emmer is from the state of Minnesota and is one of the leading voices in the political arena on Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. In this conversation, we talk about everything from the Bitcoin spot ETF to regulation, taxation, inflation, the Federal Reserve, and what he would do if he became president tomorrow. I really enjoyed this conversation with the congressman, and I hope you do as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. First up is LMAX Digital, the number one institutional crypto exchange. They offer clients the deepest pool of crypto liquidity on the planet, underscored by a 100% uptime track record through volatility spikes. They leverage LMAX Group's liquidity relationships and ultra-low latency technology. LMAX Digital is the market-leading solution for institutional crypto trading and custodial services. If you've never heard of LMAX Digital, it's probably because you're not an institution. They have no retail, only institutions. They feature a central limit order book streaming spot Bitcoin, Ether, Litecoin, and Bitcoin Cash, all paired with US dollars, Euro, and Yen. LMAX Digital, they're secure, they're liquid, and they're trusted. Learn more at lmaxdigital.com slash pomp. Again, lmaxdigital.com slash pomp. Next up is Compass Mining. Compass Mining is the world's largest marketplace for mining hardware and hosting. With Compass, everyone can mine Bitcoin. Their team makes it easy to start mining wherever you want, at home or in one of their 23 hosting facilities around the world. Through the Compass Marketplace, retail miners can access mining hardware with similar prices and purchase plans as the world's largest mining companies. Compass miners own their machines, they choose whatever mining pool they want, and they mine directly to their own wallets. Miners who don't want to host their machines can order ASICs directly to their doorstep. Simple and low-cost hosting agreements coupled with best-in-class customer service are the reasons why Compass is the simplest and most popular way to mine Bitcoin. Start mining your own Bitcoin today by visiting compassmining.io. Again, compassmining.io. Go check them out and let me know what you think. Last but not least are my friends over at OKX. Crypto is all about democratization and freedom of choice, but many companies limit their offerings to centralized trading products. The crypto companies leading the pack in terms of innovation are those that extend access to the industry's cutting-edge products and services, bridging CeFi and DeFi. If you're searching for a platform that reflects crypto's promise of a more open and less restrictive financial future, look no further than OKX. On OKX now, you can easily switch over to the new DeFi mode, Connect OKX's bespoke Web3 wallet via browser extension and start exploring opportunities at the bleeding edge of crypto. From the DeFi dashboard, you can monitor your portfolio of self-custodied assets across a range of blockchain networks and generate passive income from yield farming with top DeFi protocols. In the NFT marketplace, you can participate in exclusive drops and trade non-fungible tokens without secondary market fees. Meanwhile, the GameFi section is your portal to the latest and greatest in play-to-earn and blockchain gaming. Venture to the forefront of crypto innovation and connect with OKX DeFi today. Again, go check them out at OKX. That's where you can find OKX DeFi. All right, let's get into this episode. I hope you guys enjoy this one. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Representative Emmer, how are you? I'm doing great. 
Pop. I'm doing great. It's only 10 to 14 degrees here in Minnesota. All the mosquitoes are dead. All's good. Listen, it's it, it's Miami. Now, I know that you've got your constituents over there, but if you ever want to come get a little bit of sun and some uh, some nice uh, warm weather, we'll uh, we'll gladly host you here. So you may like this. You just you just had the freeze. I can't believe you say that. <laughs> 55 degrees and people were sitting inside. They were worried. <laughs> That's right. All right, let's start with, uh, you're a politician inside of the United States. Uh, again, most people would think that uh, every politician is stupid. They don't understand innovative technology. They're so out of touch with everyday Americans, yada, 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 whatever. You seem to be the exact opposite and really understand some of the stuff that's going on with Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and digital assets. Why are you so focused on this area? What is the importance of it for kind of the American future? Like, what, What's drawing you to this industry? Well, a lot of it, Bob. First, ha- thanks for uh, having me. But the, uh, you know, I, I did uh, a state a state legislature uh, more than a decade ago and got involved in different policy stuff. Then I had the good fortune to run into a uh, a guy that I did a radio show with about uh, a little bit less than a decade ago, who used to tell me that he was a libertarian, and by the end of the show, I'd be telling him he's an anarchist. But he got me to look at things. A little bit differently. And since I've been in Congress, you know, our monetary policy, I think, uh, here uh, in the United States and around the globe uh, has been uh, managed uh, uh, less than well. Let's put it that way, since uh, probably the early 70s when we pulled it off the gold standard. So it first comes from that interest, right, in how we've managed our monetary policy, how I believe uh, once we pulled uh, the U.S. dollar off the gold standard, uh, that we went from a country, a nation, uh, a monetary policy that uh, celebrates and promotes the creation of wealth to one that promotes the creation of debt. And by the way, uh, the only ones who can trade in debt are those that get bigger and bigger. Uh, so you either get uh, devoured by those above you uh, or you uh, fall to the bottom. Then along comes uh, Bitcoin, uh, uh, the Satoshi white paper, and it's to me, uh, the interest goes uh, well beyond policy because I, I think now it's as much economic growth as anything else. And I just uh, I think the United States of America needs to recognize and people in my position need to recognize that much like the Internet, uh, you need to get out of the way. Uh, if anything, a light touch regulatory framework uh, is appropriate. And then let the innovators in this space uh, do what they do best, start creating and growing new opportunities and, frankly, uh, bring the United States and the rest of the world into the 21st century. Yeah, I, I completely agree that uh, there's a rule, there's a room or a spot for regulation uh, and rules, but obviously uh, in, in kind of an in, uh, intelligent, well-educated uh, and well-meaning place. Talk to me a little bit about Fed policy. Uh, you mentioned a little bit that uh, it's been less than well. Uh, one of the questions that uh, I've been thinking a lot about, and I actually don't have an answer here, so I'd love your opinion, is uh, for a central bank to be effective, they essentially need to be independent and somewhat predictable, right? We don't want one that kind of is all over the place uh, from month to month or quarter to quarter. Uh, The idea of independence, though, I think is uh, very unique. If you look at something like a uh, Bitcoin-type network, it is a decentralized, digital, transparent system with programmatic monetary policy. You and I can't change it, neither can anyone else in the world unilaterally. And so there is this element of independence that comes from decentralization. The central bank that we have today in the United States, uh, there's a lot of people who think that they've done some great things, some things not so well. Uh, How independent are they? And the reason why I've been thinking about this is 
We're going into the elections and how much of monetary policy decisions today are being driven by uh, trying to get certain economic data points kind of under control before midterm elections versus doing what's actually good for the economy. And you, you know, you sit inside the machine. Like, what, what do you see from an independence of the central bank and how they really kind of interact or, or uh, intersect with the uh, political kind of cycle? Yeah, people talk about independence. Uh, but it's a political machine like everything within government. And, and frankly, uh, Pop, it's nothing more than another intermediary, right? Uh, the beauty of the decentralization uh, movement, the blockchain uh, technology, is that you don't need intermediaries. You know, this uh, uh, cryptocurrency, I believe, is facilitating uh, our move, the evolution from Web 2, which is all about having intermediaries, whether it's YouTube, whether it's Twitter, whether it's Facebook, moving us into Web 3, which is where Pomp and Tom will have our own digital identities, where you and I could do business with each other without an intermediary. And quite frankly, this scares the bejesus out of these people because this system has worked for them. I mean, there's a lot of us on the outside that have watched our monetary policy. We can point to things that they've done that's, that has uh, been appropriate. Uh, we can point to things that uh, the Fed has done to uh, stabilize the economy, I'm sure. But listen, when you're uh, in the business of bailing out Wall Street, uh, which, again, a lot of Americans, a lot of people make money uh, through their investment portfolios, uh, but it's got to be about a strong mon monetary policy that builds wealth. And quite frankly, I think uh, what you're looking at right now, and this might be way out there, but I think uh, the Keynesians uh, have now morphed into the modern monetary theorists of the 21st century. These are people who uh, live in uh, Alice in Wonderland's financial fairy tale world that uh, they have this idea, Pop, that a government that controls its own fiat currency can print and spend as much as it wants with never having any negative consequences. Uh, and on the other side of that equation, you have the uh, the end, the Fed people, the, uh, the gold standard uh, people, uh, the, uh, the those that were Ron Paulites back in the day that have talked about the, the problem with the manipulation of our currency and it picks winners and losers. And I think that's what uh, that's what this is really all about. It's a it's a debate that's been taking place for quite some time. And I think we've reached a point. Uh, and I might be stepping over the line a little bit, but I think we've reached the point where the Fed has become less and less effective. I think uh, people look at them and say, uh, who are you exactly working for when you say your target inflation rate is 2%, which, by the way, they're making up for years of lost ground uh, in the last uh, 12 months. Uh, but think about it. The Fed has a target inflation rate. Uh, every American who has saved and been disciplined and diligent for their retirement is paying a 2% tax that the uh, Fed has determined. These are things that I think that have turned people uh, onto other uh, avenues of investment and growth. And I think uh, that mismanagement uh, or intentional mismanagement has frankly driven uh, cryptocurrency and other uh, uh, options uh, in the financial world, these disruptive technologies. One of the things that cracked me up during the uh, pandemic, uh, especially kind of March to May of uh, 2020, was it seemed like a lot of the quote unquote capitalists on Wall Street became socialists very quickly and all came begging to the government for uh, bailouts, free money, et cetera. And to your point, uh, I think there were some deals done where, you know, take the airline industry as, as one. Uh, they essentially asked for a deal that no one in the private 
capital markets would have given them. There was no equity or debt investor on the planet that would have given them uh, $25 plus billion and said, by the way, a third of it you just keep for free. We don't need anything for it. And so uh, it's pretty crazy to watch. But uh, we, we are here. We can't change the past and only can go forward. Talk to me about uh, the United States getting into the cryptocurrency game via the central bank digital currencies. I know that uh, the CBDCs, obviously, around the world, people are uh, investigating them. They're researching them. Some people have started to create them, pilot them, et cetera. I know you've got a bunch of thoughts here. What do you think the United States' role on CBDC should be? Uh, and kind of how do you think that we should play this out? Get out of the way. <laughs> I just... Uh... I, it really has uh, been disturbing to me to watch uh, uh, some of the leaders in our uh, financial services sector uh, suggest that we've got to try and play catch up and keep up with the uh, with the Communist Party of China. Uh, they're practicing, in my opinion, Pomp, digital authoritarianism. Right? Uh, they look at this space as a, as a uh, another tool to collect information on citizens and then control their behavior. That's not what the United States of America is all about. Uh, I think uh, any, and that's not to say that we shouldn't have uh, uh, some type of digital currency. I just think it would be better off done in the private sector uh, in this country. That being said, if we were to go down this road, uh, I definitely have some thoughts. Uh, the main one is if the uh, federal government ever created some type of central bank digital currency, it must be open, permissionless, and private. In other words, it has to be just like cash. Whether they can do it or not, I have no idea. But I do I do throw something uh, back at you, Pomp. It's interesting to me that the Federal Reserve is the one that's uh, taking the lead on this. When I thought it was the Treasury, the way things are set up in this country, that mints uh, uh, and uh, uh, prints uh, our currency. It would seem to me that uh, that's really where this should start. Uh, and again, I think there are a bunch of uh, uh, options out in the private sector that would put us way ahead of uh, our peers in this space and frankly would keep a lot of the innovation, a lot of the uh, business growth in this industry right here in the United States of America. Yeah, it's pretty incredible to kind of watch this play out. Another sector of uh, of this industry that you've been uh, somewhat vocal about is the Bitcoin spot ETF. Now, for years, we had uh, no ETF in the United States. We basically had these publicly traded trusts. Other jurisdictions around the world, they went ahead and they've approved ETFs, ETPs, ETNs, you know, the whole alphabet soup. Uh, and when uh, the new kind of administration came in, I think there's a lot of hope that, okay, these people understand Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and, and they're going to be somewhat sympathetic and, and kind of push some forward, uh, some approvals here. We did get an ETF approval, just happened to be a futures-based one versus spot. What's your thoughts on the spot ETF? Is the futures one good? Should we be pressuring regulators to approve a spot? How, how does that work? Uh, your last question, absolutely, we should be pressuring them to approve a spot. Uh, it, it's interesting, The um, it, you, you look at what their mission is. Uh, the mission of the SEC and these other uh, federal agencies is to protect Americans, right? Protect investors. And I, I get such a kick out of it. The uh, You said it. I felt the same way. I felt the last administration did have some champions, right? Hester Peirce, uh, Giancarlo, uh, Brian Brooks, you know, some people that were really forward thinking and thoughtful. Uh, but we were running into uh, a lot of friction with the uh, the existing financial uh, uh, services establishment, the traditional uh, financial 
uh, I guess, legacy financial institutions and uh, this new disruptive technology. So I thought when we had a change of administrations, just like you brought up, Pomp, I thought we were going to have some uh, some new thought coming in. And frankly, it's been as difficult or more difficult. And Gary Gensler is one of the uh, uh, what uh, villains, if you will, of the uh, of the current uh, theater production. Uh, that is uh, uh, this administration and their approach towards uh, cryptocurrencies and other uh, financial instruments in this new digital age. It's uh, you talk about the spot ETF. Uh, so they denied uh, Scaramucci, a well-known name from New York. They denied uh, uh, an application from his group uh, two weeks ago. They denied one from Fidelity. Uh, and again, they say they're protecting the individual American investors, which is their mission at the SEC, Pomp. But the intellectual disconnect or the intellectual inconsistency is where does the futures market get its price from? It gets it from the spot market. So you have to be asking yourself, and I, I just can't believe, and forgive me for this, but I can't believe they think we're this stupid, that uh, the average American investor that uh, is working hard every day to study this stuff and understand where it's going and what they might do, they, they understand uh, how inconsistent this is. Uh, and now, rather than uh, starting to work with us, and we're going to continue to put pressure on them, now they want to take it a step uh, uh, farther. I think uh, the nuns at Our Lady of Grace would have said farther or further. can't remember. But the, uh, uh, they want to take it a step farther by changing the definition of an exchange so that it's not just facilitating a, uh, a sale, uh, facilitating uh, a deal, but now it's putting... Uh, sellers and buyers together. Think about that, Pom. If if they actually do this, which, by the way, I would argue this is Gary Gensler going around the legislative branch of government because he knows he doesn't have this authority. But if he can somehow convince people through a rulemaking process that he's able to expand the SEC's jurisdiction, guess what? He's writing himself a blank check to weigh in on every single uh, uh, communication protocol out there. That's why I think it's really important for members of Congress, people with election certificates, to get up to speed uh, and, more importantly, to lean in and lean in hard. How, how interested are your peers in uh, in Congress or other elected seats? Are they are they tuned into this stuff or are they worried about uh, other things? And, and uh, there's a couple of you who have been pretty vocal and, and public about your thoughts, but most other people aren't paying attention. Well, remember, uh, there are a lot of other things to be worried about. So uh, this is not a criticism of uh, any of my colleagues who are focused on other things, whether that be uh, this uh, runaway inflation we haven't seen in 40 some years, whether it be the crime wave that has uh, uh, what uh, burned across this country, whether it's the open border, you name it, whatever it is, uh, our, our, uh, the geopolitical, the, the uh, uh, national defense threats, et cetera. Uh, so there's a lot of things to be worried about, but this area, this uh, specific area, I would argue to you that the awareness has grown uh, uh, exponentially over the last uh, four to five months. I think we uh, we got years of growth uh, and awareness, uh, maybe not understanding per se, but at least awareness uh, starting in August with the uh, bipartisan infrastructure bill that included that uh, misguided tax provision uh, that uh, affects, uh, well, affects a lot more than minors. I think that's what they were trying to do. But uh, as soon as that happened, Pomp, uh, the uh, the the industry, those that are interested outside of government, really weighed in. 
uh, and because of the force that came from my uh, people and entities who are working in this area, uh, you had a lot of our friends on the other side of the building, the U.S. senators, uh, they, they woke up uh, in a big hurry. And I think what you've seen on the House side, we, we have the uh, bipartisan blockchain caucus that has more than doubled in size and it continues to grow. So the awareness uh, is growing. Uh, on the issues, uh, the specificity, I think uh, we got two kinds of members. We've got members that uh, are absolutely intent upon learning the details and understanding how we can allow the entrepreneurs in this space, not only to exist in this country, but to thrive in this country. And then there's another group uh, who's coming to the party slowly, uh, but they're more self-interested, which is one of the reasons, uh, Pomp, uh, uh, directly, that I announced uh, both in my personal campaign and at the uh, National Republican Congressional Committee that I run, that we're accepting uh, uh, campaign contributions in crypto. And uh, it might sound like a, uh, a selfish plug, but it's not. For all of your listeners out there, keep in mind that many uh, of those of us with election certificates are uh, very self-interested. I know this is going to surprise you. Very <laughs> self-interested and self-focused. Uh, and when they see other members starting to raise campaign funds through uh, Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies, you know what, Pop? They suddenly become very interested. Hmm, maybe I should find out what that's all about. So selfishly, uh, that's the, the real reason why I did it, is to get people in our community of elected officials to start saying, uh, maybe selfishly, I don't care what the reason is uh, that they've got to learn more about this and they got to get involved because I think time is of the essence, Pomp. I don't think we have any time to waste here. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, if you were president for a day, what's like the two or three things that you would do uh, for, uh, for for the crypto industry? Like, are there things that if you could just wave a magic wand, you're like, bam, this is the first things that I would do? Yeah, I actually, we do. We've got uh, what I would do right away is try to have a better definition, if you will, of uh the uh, of what a currency is of what a uh, uh, of what a commodity is of what a uh, what a security is because i think this has been one of the big problems right uh one of the big problems in this area is that you've got this uh, uh, smorgasbord of uh, bureaucracies on the executive branch that all think they have some type of jurisdiction over the area uh, and it, it really causes a lot of uh, friction for people who want to uh, create new opportunities and uncertainty. You know, you've got uh, you've got regulators uh, like uh, Gensler, who's out there regulating through enforcement. In other words, you start a project because you think this is a great idea. You want to do it right here in the country that you were born and raised in or the country that you have adopted as your home because it's all about freedom. And guess what? You get this thing rolling and this guy decides now he's going to bring an action against you uh, before you even know what the rules are. Or uh, the other thing is just through uh, a public statement. Uh, so some better definitions and jurisdictional definition of what is a currency, what is a uh, commodity, and what's a security. And then, Pomp, you're probably aware. I mean, I've got bills like the Safe Harbor for Taxpayers with Forked Assets Act, which uh, Darren Soto and I have I have offered Darren as a, uh, a Democrat from Florida, the Securities Clarity Act, uh, and there's several others. There's a Safe Harbor, uh, the Blockchain Regulatory Certainty Act. There is a package of things that I believe we could do in short order that would create that uh, light touch regulatory framework 
that would allow people the ability to make decisions with some type of certainty uh, before they take risk. Uh, and that's all you need, because if you have some type of certainty, uh, let the risk takers take the risk because uh, they're the ones who uh, uh, gain the reward. And by the way, when they're rewarded, all of us get the benefit of that reward. That's definitely true. In my opinion, I got two questions for you that my brothers are here and they're going to ask you a couple questions. But the first one is uh, Minnesota. What would it take to put uh, Bitcoin on the state balance sheet? Anything, any conversations there or anything that you think uh, could potentially happen in the next couple of years in terms of putting Bitcoin on Minnesota's balance sheet? I think it's a great idea. And I, I'm just going to tell you that uh, I, I want to stay away from uh, the partisan thing because I could be very critical, uh, but I can be critical of Republicans just as well as I can be critical of Democrats. Right now, it would take uh, uh, some uh, more forward thinking leadership. Uh, you know, something like uh, your mayor down in Miami, uh, something like uh, some of the others that uh, the new mayor in New York, uh, who uh, I find him very interesting because I don't know how uh, what how detailed he is in his understanding. But I don't care because he's uh, he's saying the right things about being forward thinking. And uh, we could use more of that in Minnesota. You know, uh, Pomp, we've celebrated uh, the fact and anybody who's familiar with uh, the old Garrison Keeler show, uh, we've always celebrated the fact that us Minnesotans are just a little bit better than average and we should be able to get this figured out. I love it. My last question for you is uh, you obviously, as a U.S. congressman, get paid in U.S. dollars. Uh, there are now uh, applications, something like maybe Strike, that would allow you to pick a percentage and auto-convert on payment a portion of your salary into Bitcoin. Would you ever think about doing something like that and taking a portion of your salary in Bitcoin? Yeah, why, why not? Uh, but I, I, I want to make it clear. I wouldn't restrict it to Bitcoin. I mean, I know uh, that you and, and others in this uh, area, in fact, I've got one in my office now. I kind of love him. He's, uh, he wrote me a thing about maximalist, which uh, I'm kind of getting into. But the, uh, I, the idea that we can uh, start to bring crypto into the mainstream, uh, whether it's by uh, converting some of our salary to that or by uh, allowing organically, I, I will make it clear because I don't want anybody to take from my statements that I think it makes sense to mandate uh, what people uh, uh, take as uh, a bargain for uh, value of exchange. Uh, but I think organically, uh, Pomp, I think if we allow this to be the opportunity, I think, yes, I would take advantage of it. I think there's a lot of people who would. And that, by the way, is how you can uh, facilitate this evolution that we're in, uh, while allowing the legacy uh, financial institutions to, uh, if they choose, to evolve uh, with the uh, financial industry or not. Uh, and you can ask some uh, great companies of the past. Sears Roebuck is one that comes to mind that chose not to evolve, and we know what happens there. I'm going to uh, I'm going to send some folks up there to Minnesota and we're going to get you hooked up so you could be the first U.S. Uh, national politician to take uh, part of their salary in Bitcoin. I think that uh, that may be good for business for uh, for your campaign and uh, for the state of Minnesota. Remember, Pop, it's still January. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Listen, for Bitcoin, we'll go anywhere. That's fine. We go to Metaverse to the winters of uh, Minnesota or the summers of Florida. It's all good. Joe, what questions you got? Congressman, thanks for joining us. I uh, really appreciate it. My question would just be around inflation. Like, 
what are your thoughts on it? What's going on? Do you think it's more supply chain stuff going on? Or do you think it was kind of how much money was injected in the economy? When does it get fixed? Do you think the numbers are accurate? Just your general thoughts on it. I do not think the numbers are accurate. I think they're probably worse. Uh, you know, when it's just like debt, Joe, think about it. Uh, if you own a business and you don't have to list your retirement, uh, uh, your pension fund as a uh, liability, boy, you're going to look a lot better if you got a big uh, pension liability, aren't you? That's kind of what our uh, our uh, public uh, municipalities can do across this country, our states. So uh, inflation to me, uh, let me explain it in my uh, uh, Minnesota, uh, uh, what, simple way. Uh, inflation began on January 20th of last year when uh, uh, our new president effectively killed American energy independence. And I don't care where people are on the, uh, you know, fossil fuels, the Keystone pipeline. My point is not to get into a debate about that. My point is that many people think energy is just what you put in your gas tank. It's not. Energy is everything that drives our economy. You have to have abundant and affordable energy first and foremost to drive an economy that, uh, and frankly, a lifestyle that we are all used to, uh, and by the way, uh, a lifestyle that improves uh, every day. Uh, if you don't have that, uh, well, first it slows down, and then second, you get uh, you get uh, what we're into, and, and this is how. Because first, you destroy American energy, energy independence. Second, you print all kinds of money, because really, you can. Uh, you don't, uh, you're not held to any standard. Uh, you can print as much as you want because remember, it's backed up by the full faith and credit of the American uh, government. That's great. Uh, so that's the second element. The third element is you've got uh, a consumer base that has been locked up effectively for over a year that has now got uh, a whole bunch of money that's been injected into uh, into their, uh, their budgets uh, and they've got pent up demand. So you unleash this uh, this uh, major uh, weather system uh, into the economy, and guess what? You're going to have uh, a, a supply chain issue uh, to begin with, and then start to uh, uh, layer on top of that. Uh, you know, whether it's China, whether it's the uh, policies that I will say were uh, were well intentioned. Uh, increasing uh, unemployment benefits, uh, you know, so people uh, could support themselves. But in fact, what you did is you uh, created a disincentive for people to get in the workforce. And all that, Joe, one piece that uh, my side doesn't talk about very much, but we've also uh, reached a point, I believe it's the perfect storm where we've got uh, uh, an aging workforce in this country that simply is aging out of the workforce. So uh, all of these things are coming together. And I, I'm going to tell you, until our government understands, it cannot control the weather. Uh, it has got to have a monetary policy that recognizes you can't print and spend uh, at will without having any negative uh, consequence. You have to control that side of it. You have to start to uh, uh, reduce all the dependence uh, that you've created and get people back out there uh, improving their own lives and making things happen, that's when you'll start to get it under control. But first and foremost, it's you got to stop injecting these huge sums of cash into the economy. And you've got to uh, allow our energy sector to start to create an all of the above energy uh, uh, menu again. John, what questions you got? 
Kersheimer, great points there. You really can't print trillions and not expect some type of repercussions of that. So one way that the U.S. government has tried to inject more money into their pockets and the pockets of other Americans is actually through taxation, right? So they are collecting more and more taxes in crypto. What are your thoughts and what would you like to see around taxation in the crypto uh, ecosystem? Well, so this, this, by the way, it's both direct taxes and indirect taxes. I mean, people got to pay more attention to how their uh, this inflation, quite frankly, is a tax in itself, right? Uh, but the uh, crypto space, this comes back to what I was talking to talking about before, and that's I think you need more definition as to what is considered a currency, what is considered a uh, a security, and what is considered a commodity. That that will determine the taxation. Uh, I believe you have a system already in place. The problem isn't that uh, uh, you know we got to create a whole new tax system for uh, cryptocurrency uh, or uh, or these types of assets. Uh, the problem is the government isn't willing to give us the definition so that we know what applies. That's what I went back to when I was talking about certainty, right? I think we should have uh, uh, an IRS safe harbor. So if someone starts a, a crypto project, starts a new uh, whatever it might be, uh, and it, it takes off, that maybe in the beginning it looked like one thing, but once it takes off, it uh, transforms itself into something else. Great. We should not have a taxable event until we define what it is. And then, in fact, uh, we have a, uh, I believe we have a framework already in place. Now, the way this, uh, this sector is uh, growing and evolving, uh, the speed with which it's moving, uh, that might not be the perfect answer, but I believe that's where we start. Because the problem is you got a lot of policymakers who think they have the ultimate answer. And uh, they try to do something anticipating where the market is going or where the uh, issues are. And guess what? They cause more problems than they do uh, good. Congressman, when you think about uh, kind of your work, you do everything from uh, spend a bunch of time with your colleagues and peers, uh, actually creating legislation and, and representing people. Uh, but you all spend a lot of time talking to uh, your constituents and, and people that are everyday Americans. Uh, I think maybe just in closing, help us understand kind of what are you hearing from them when it comes to inflation, when it comes to Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, um, as you kind of have people writing in, calling, uh, or just speaking to them in person. Like what, what's the overall message maybe right now at the beginning of 2022, as we are about two years, you know, past uh, kind of the start of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic and, and a lot of the economic issues. What's the message that you're getting? Well, it may not surprise you, uh, although I do run in many different circles, the uh, traditional financial uh, uh, folks, as well as those that are, uh, you know, been very skeptical of the uh, the financial system, uh, those that are uh, heavily involved in, uh, in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Uh, you know what I hear more than anything else? Uh, and I'll, I'm going to paraphrase it because it's, uh, you get much longer discussions this than this. Uh, but especially from those that are on board. I think uh, the last uh, uh, statement about, uh, you know, these guys can print it. Well, I could defy gravity too. I think if I jump out this window, I'll fall a flight of stairs down. Uh, it will not, you can't change uh, uh, the way things operate. You can't spend, print and spend at will and not expect to have a bad result. And so, what I hear from most of these people that are uh, interested in this innovation, interested in this area, interested in how uh, uh, our monetary policy uh, has, for most of them, been mismanaged throughout their lifetime is, I told you so. 
I, I mean, it's it's basically that. I told you so. I knew this was going to happen. You know, every time we have one of these crashes, they come back and eventually they do the same thing. They set it up for the same failure. I told you this was going to happen. I, I And then they'll tell you, I see a day coming where we're all going to be able to do business with each other directly. And uh, frankly, guys, I want to be around for that. And when it comes to uh, Bitcoin, it's not going away. And, and Bob, when it comes to your show, I got to tell you, I got a text message uh, from, and I won't mention his name. I hope he's listening this morning because I uh, haven't called him back yet. But I got a text message and a voicemail from a guy uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago that said, hey, a voice out of the past, uh, probably from a, uh, a campaign that I had 10 years ago, because he's up on the North Shore, up where the uh, the snow is for uh, adults and the cold <laughs> is for uh, animals. Uh, he he uh, called and said, you got to get on Pomp's show. These guys know what they're talking about. And I... Uh, so, but by, by the way, we, we probably somewhere along the way, uh, we paid that guy to do that. That, that, must, <laughs> that must be a plant. There's no way that anyone in our audience is that kind. Somebody definitely is pulling a trick on you. April fools early. <laughs> awesome. Well, listen, Congressman, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Uh, again, I, I just appreciate now. I just want to say thank you from, uh, the entire Bitcoin and crypto community. I think that the work that you're doing is incredibly important. I know that, uh, uh at times you can feel like you're slamming your head against the wall and uh, uh, kind of out and on an island, uh, but just keep up the great work. There's a lot of people who are rooting for your success and uh, hopefully we can get some uh, some return to some uh, s- some kind of uh, intelligent discussion around keeping America at the forefront of innovation and uh, continue to use this technology, which obviously is creating a lot of jobs, create a lot of economic prosperity and make sure that America stays as the leader on the global stage. So you're doing great work and keep it up. Amen. Thanks, Pomp. All right. Sounds good. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed this one. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. And if you're looking to try to transition to get a new job in the Bitcoin or crypto industry, we've got you covered. Head over to pompscryptocourse.com. We've developed a curriculum with the top teams across the industry. It's a three-week intensive training program with over 50 events packed into that three-week time period. Go to pompscryptocourse.com to learn more. And I'll meet you guys for the next episode.